You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, powered by Sportsman's Empire where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 128. Rob Chapone, sous vide fish is disrespectful. On this episode of Huntivore, Nick has been placed on injured reserve for a few days due to a procedure. While he's icing up, Rob Chapone joins us on the show to share some tips and tricks and some moves when frying fish and cooking whole piglets. Rob is a big fan of the sous vide, and we brainstorm how using that can prepare all kinds of meat for an interactive barbecue. Join us on an inspiring chat on this episode of Huntivore. Well, hey, folks. Beautiful afternoon here in Michigan. I tell you what, uh, we have moved location because you'll be hearing this on a Thursday, so it's getting very close to that weekend. I am on my deck uh, in the shade, just kicked back. Um, recently had a surgery uh, down uh, down yonder. Uh, we, me and my wife decided that the vasectomy was going to happen, and so here I am Resting the lower reaches of myself, but we are going to be continuing to have great conversations with amazing individuals. And in fact, one of those individuals today, we are back on with friend of the show, Rob Chapone. Rob, you uh, you've done such a you've done a big move here since we last talked to you. I mean, you can't ever get the New Yorker out of. You can't get the New York out of the New Yorker, but uh, you have changed residence, my friend. Tell me about that. Yeah, absolutely, man. First, just uh, let me say thank you, bro. It's awesome chatting with you and catching up. and It's really refreshing being able to talk about the things that we love, you know, and uh, and there's no, it's no holes barred, you know. It, the conversation goes in great places. Um, yeah, we moved. My wife and I have been trying to move for about, 
two years down south and you know how it is you know everybody talks about it but we actually pulled the trigger and it was very difficult um just because there's so many moving parts and you know there's a spiritual aspect of moving and selling property and selling your house and then buying a new house there's there's this spiritual aspect of it so um but fast forward we're down in somerville south carolina and we're really pumped it's a beautiful area and um yeah we're the We've been there about 10 days and we're getting acclimated and I'm traveling back and forth for work to New York, which I get the best of both worlds. So, you know, it's just uh, getting organized and, you know, it's, it's prime time for gardening and, pro, you know, fishing and the harvest in Long Island. I haven't even entered into South Carolina and learning about the fishery over there. So, yeah, here we are, man. So let's let it rip. Yeah, that's good. Because that was uh, when we were talking, kind of just setting this thing up uh, earlier today. I, I asked you, I was like, is it, you know, moving out of Long Island, moving out of New York, and then going south? Uh, yeah, it is considered still the same body of water being the Atlantic Ocean that you're going to be closest to and all those little inlets and stuff. Um, and I asked, is that going to have to change your tactics or is it one of those things that once you kind of have a grasp of what you're chasing, topography is going to somewhat look the same. You're just going to have to find those little honey holes where, uh, you know, you knew in the past, but now you're kind of figuring out this new area, but you know, fish are fish. And when fish are hungry, it's all about just presenting something in front of them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Usually it comes down to this one thing and it's about bait, you know, they're hungry and you know, there's other factors involved, but they're hungry. So you're finding out information. Like when I go to a new fishing spot, I like traveling all over the place. I go to bait shops. I ask questions. I go online, I go on forums and I create this, you know, information, you know, database in my brain and be like, okay, they're hunting this and this is where I need to set up and understand, you know, go to a place at like super low tide on a moon phase and see what the demographics look like underneath the water. It doesn't matter where I am. I, I, fish are fish. They're going to set up an ambush point. You know, they, they're looking for bait. They're hungry. The barometric pr- pressure has a lot to do with feeding with the fish. You know, when it drops before a storm, there's this, there's this feed bag that all fish put on, you know, it's knowing that it's understanding, you know, where are you and what are you targeting and what are you using? And, you know, so it's, it's, that's why we do it. You know, we're hunting, we're hunters. That's what we do. We're hunting fish. You know, you're hunting deer, you're hunting fish. It doesn't matter what you're hunting. You need to understand the animal and understand the waterways and understand the moon and the, the wind. And that takes time, you know? It does, it does. And like you said, you're gonna not, you're gonna be starting over down there in, in South Carolina, but you got your tactics there. It won't be long before you'll be on a new school down there just hammering all sorts of fish that you know, here in the landlocked uh, US, it's it's hard to think about. You were just describing uh, just some of the size proportions of some of these fish that are in, in the ocean, just massive. Um, 
but at the same time, like, you know, here in Michigan, out, out in our big lakes, like, we do get a chance to chase after uh, salmon, after lake trout, uh, after walleye, and these fish can get mighty big, too. I mean, in, like, lakes, you know, pike are nothing to even wave a stick at. They're uh, they're nasty critters, man. They'll come after whatever you throw in the, in the water at that point. But, yeah, like you said, it's just being able to understand what you are chasing. I know that's – as far as my uh, – outdoors game i probably want to say that uh angling is on the probably i'm still in that novice section um i'm i'm still one of those guys that i'm like shoot if i've got something that worked before i'm gonna stick with it until it doesn't work but then i'm gonna be quick to change up baits or what i'm using maybe if i'm using a worm uh and the you know the bluegills aren't hitting well yeah let's go to something artificial let's switch over to that um but, yeah, me and my boys, I think that's just a little pastime we have. We chase panfish like nobody's business. We can sit on a dock. We can sit on a shore. We don't need a boat. We just have a great time on the side. Uh, my oldest, though, he's he's graduating to a new – he wants to be a, a real fisherman now. He kind of gave me the look. Yeah, he gave me the look. Uh, you know, he's got one of those, like, two-and-a-half-foot, three-foot rods, Uh it's it's not a, it doesn't have Spider Man on it. It doesn't have a character. It doesn't have a Mickey Mouse on it. But his cousin recently got one of the six foot rods, and I got that look that was like, Dad, come on, we got to step up our game here. You know, I, I I need some better tackle. So I think we got a trip to Cabela's here in the next next week or so. We got to get him some some real equipment. That's the move, man. They're graduating, you know, and. uh you know, here's a little comparison, you know, when we were talking earlier. I was just thinking, you know, I'm very, you know, I love the martial arts. And, you know, I train jiu-jitsu with Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And, you know, they have a belt system, you know. And, and I would liken fishing and hunting to the belt system. Like, you know, when you first start out, you get your white belt, you know. And then you get a couple of stripes on there. And you learn and you ask questions and you, you know, problem solve. But. And then you get your blue belt and you're learning about the techniques and all those things. And then purple, you're developing your style. And then brown and black, it's just, you put the time in. It takes time to hone all the basics and then add your own style. Same with fishing. You know, you got to put your time in. You got to, you spend time in certain areas, take notes, ask questions. You know, you see what works, you see what doesn't work. You lose endless amount of fish. You know, and it hurts because you're like, oh, I forgot to do this or I forgot to do that. So it's putting your time in, man, you know, and understanding, you know, and doing it with balance. I know many fishermen that, you know, and hunter, you know, hunters and fishermen that, you know, they have trouble in their marriage and trouble with the relationship with their kids because they put hunting and fishing first. So it's about finding that balance. So when you are fishing and when you are hunting, you know, you're excited to be there. You don't feel like you're doing something wrong. You know, you don't feel there should be a balance, you know, always. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do like the uh, the analogy to the jujitsu and the belt system <laughs> into into angling. Um, yeah. I'm trying to, like, evaluate. I think I would have a couple stripes on a white belt, and I'd be looking <laughs> at a blue belt. But I got to <laughs> – I have a couple white belts that I'm still kind of loading up the hook and I'm still taking the fish off. 
you know, I've, I've got that motion right now. I'm earning my time. <laughs> That's what I'm definitely doing. Sometimes I don't yeah. even get my rod out. It's, I had three boys that are either getting tangled or they got a fish on and, you know, it's, it's essentially, Oh, I forget the, uh, the reference. I forget the verse, but, um, where children in, in the Bible, where children are, um, compared to a quiver full of arrows that you can only hold on to them so long and you know they're only going to be as precise as the archer and so me as the archer like I'm trying to send my my boys off in a good direction but right now we're definitely in the the, the time in phase trying to be able to get all that done but it is a great time to to be able to share to share with them on on just that development. And then, yeah, we get, we get a keeper on there and man, everybody's stoked. Everybody's happy. As soon as we thought we were ready to pack up, things start biting. Well, here, here we are. We're here for another 40 minutes. So it's a good time. Yeah. It's, it's always awesome talking about it, you know? Well, Hey, since we're on, we've just jumped right into this, uh, whole topic of fish and angling, uh, and just strategy. Um, Let's think about once we get some of those fish, once we get a bounty, once we get a limit, um, you know, with our panfish, there's only one one true way to serve up uh, a panfish, whether that be uh, a crappie, whether that be a bluegill, whether that be sunfish, whatever, whatever you're chasing in that panfish. I even throw perch into that whole idea, too, is just an easy fish fry. I can't think of any like crowd pleasing way to serve up uh, a bunch of a bunch of fish than just giving it a quick dredge into some hot oil. Um, I know I was kind of thinking I wanted to talk a little bit about small plates and hors d'oeuvres, but I think this ties in really well. A big old fish yeah. fry. Uh, you know, we don't normally get into uh, the boils here in Michigan, but I th- we will take newspaper and we will throw it on the table, especially when it comes to a whole mess of bluegills. What's a what's a chef like you doing when you're serving up fried fish? Whether it's going to be cod, whether it's going to be something big, even down to uh, the little panfish, how do you uh, how do you end up going through your your breading process and serving process? Uh, you know, if we, we're talking small plates or we're talking like a fish fry or, you know. Yeah, let's go big just, fish fry. We've got a table now. We got 20 plus people. Yeah. Let's, let's do the whole kit and caboodle. I mean, for talking about the fish that you're talking about, the panfish in the lakes and the, that's one thing, but the fish that we're used to here and salt water, um, you know, want me to talk about the salt water? Yeah, um, let's get into what some I salt would water. Do. All right. So. I am an advocate for Long Island. I say it's the greatest fishery in the world. I mean, I fished all over the place, but the amount of um, species and uh, the amount of different types of techniques and styles and, you know, boat off the shore, you know, spearfishing, um, you know, all different types of traps. And it's, it's unbelievable. And some of the best eating fish, for any chef, you know, like black sea bass. Black sea bass is one of the one of my sought after fish, you know, especially in the summertime. Fluke, unbelievable. You could do so many things with it. Striped bass, bluefish, um, which is bluefish is frowned upon. But you could basically fry any of those fish. You know, even sea robins. 
everyone is getting rid of sea robins. Um, but when you when you fillet them and, and save them for the next day, marinate them and then fry them, they're they're just they're just as good as any of those other fish, you know. And they're everywhere and they're pretty much free. So if you're having a hard time and you don't want to spend money, go get some sea robins. <laughs> um, why aren't they yeah. Why aren't they sought after? Is it just not a trophy fish that people are, are showing off, or is it just they? You know, it's one of those things like the the newness or like the fact that they haven't done anything with it before there's nothing there's no cookbook on them right now so that you know they just kind of throw them back what's what what makes people throw them back well what happens is it's just like it's just like anything like with any topic people don't have the knowledge they don't understand they just go by what they hear or what they know and it's getting something introduced to them kind of like albacore tuna they call them albies here, and they're so fun to catch up the shore and the boat. And but everybody throws them back. They don't think you could eat them. They're like, oh, they're gamey, and the, you know the bloodline and this and that. But if you're preparing them a certain way, you can make them taste like yellowfin. You know, you bleed them, and then you um, you cut the bloodline out completely. You know, I usually freeze the whole loin for you know maybe 20 minutes, and then I I go into the preparation. You can't tell the difference. The same thing with sea robin. It's one of the greatest fish. It's like monkfish. It's the same kind of fish as monkfish. Just because if you look at a monkfish and you look at a sea robin, it's kind of the same um, build, you know. So frying um, frying them up is unbelievable. But basically, you can fry fish, um, basic breading procedure, which is flour, egg, and breadcrumbs. But you can take those three items and change them a little bit here and there and make all these unbelievable crusts. Like all the crack, like rich crackers, rice krispies, tortilla chips, um, you name it. You could put it in the food processor with some panko and with some breadcrumb and make all different types of crust. The egg, I take uh, the microplane and I put garlic in the, in the egg, just raw garlic. I'll chop rosemary, put it in the egg with that. And then the flour, a seasoned flour. You can use all different flour. You can make it gluten-free. There's great gluten-free breadcrumbs out there. And you season everything. And you, 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 you use, I use that base to fry, you know. And then tempura is the same thing. You make a basic tempura batter. But after you put it in the tempura, then you dip it in maybe, you know, dip it in all sorts of seeds and dip it in all sorts of herbs. And so it's getting creative, you know. And then when you fry it, you want to fry it perfectly. You don't want to over fry it or under fry it. So there's an art with that. I mean, I don't have a, a specific um, science behind it. Like with certain things you could fry and you use a temperature gauge, you know, and you can use, but yeah. with fish, you just trial and error, you know, you just try to pull it out at the right time. Yep. You know? I've heard it. Well, at and least on our small pan fish, um, or if you take like a, shoot like a, a bigger fillet something like a, like a fluke and if you cut it uh into smaller pieces that you end up frying so they're a little more bite-sized um i got a buddy who like firmly believes that once that little once that fillet starts floating it's done you know they sink down to the bottom they get their thing and then all of a sudden they come rising back up to the top and he does i mean he uses a basket just so he can keep them corralled but his big thing is when it starts floating, he pulls it right off with tongs, and he just sits there and pulls off one piece at a time because uh, he says, when it starts floating, I know it's done all the way through. Uh, and that's probably a good move. And, uh, 
you know, a lot of it has to do with the size of the how you cut it. You know, it could be thick, it could be thin. Like flounder fillets are thin. You fry them quick. And the temperature of the oil is one of the keys. You know, you want it like 350 to like, you know, 350, 360, because once you put it in the oil, it's the temperature is going down, especially if you cram a bunch of things in there. Yeah. Um, it goes it goes down 15, 20 degrees immediately as soon as you put a cold piece of fish in there. So one of the tricks I also do is I kind of not make it room temperature and leave it out for a long time. Leave it out for, you know, a half hour and take the chill off it. You know, that will help. Yeah. You know? I like um, that. I like that. Because you're right. It's amazing. I mean, you put a thermometer right there and you watch it and that mercury will just drop right away. The moment you put yeah. a bunch of those in there, it's incredible to just watch how heat is distributed and how fast that that works. Because then, if yeah, if you end up with cold oil, it doesn't cook as fast, and that's how you get your soggy fish on the inside. You want to make sure that you're hitting that hard fast with the fry. That's going to create the crust, and then you're not going to have it full of oil and be, uh, you know, soggy. Yeah, and it's the same principle we talk about with the belts. You put your time in and understand, like, put some time into frying things. Understand what's going on with the temperature. Understand the crust. Understand, you know, the size of the fish. And you, you develop your technique. You develop something, and you do it until you perfect that. And then you move on to something else. But, you, you, you know, we call it, you know, you got moves. Like me and my whole crew, you know, always talk, oh, that's a move. You know, you need to develop your moves, you know? Yeah. Are you ready for a move, Rob? I got a move for you. I'm going to drive my truck right off the cliff over here. <laughs> so this move, uh, I actually stole it from a food chain, Chick-fil-A, and they brine all their chicken in pickle juice. In, uh, yeah, pickle absolutely. Brine. Yeah. So I, I finished up. Uh, thing of pickles and so I, I just keep the juice because you know eventually I'm going to want to use it for something else and I heard about this trick from Chick-fil-A while we were having a small little fish fry so half the batch I took all those fillets and I poured on that pickle juice I gave it 15 minutes uh, all those little fillets just swimming around in that brine and you know pull them shake them off go right in and we, we usually use a, a corn a corn meal uh, dredge like half cornmeal half flour you know just dusted them in those and they went right into the oil and I tell you what you could tell the difference between which one was in the brine which one wasn't it was it was more flavorful and it didn't it didn't taste like a pickle you did get the salinity you got the salt that was out of that um, but that it was just a moist, uh, filet as opposed to something that was like super dried out at that point. I think it gives you a little bit of a window. I think it helps you out as as the guy frying. But oh yeah. man, that's the that's a move right there. Is fifteen minutes of your small fillets into pickle juice. That's just gonna uplift all those little bites. I mean, things are already go quick when they've been set on the table, but they will go faster if you use that little move. Yeah. Yeah, and you could, instead of using pickle juice, you can make your own brine, like with different vinegars and garlic and herbs and dill and you name it, you could put it in there. So, you know, it's there's no rules. That's when you go to a four-star restaurant and you got 90 people plating one dish and, and 
all the technique and all the flavor and all the stuff that you taste is from those little things. You marinate the fish, yeah. the bread, you get, the crust, the timing, the, the your accompaniment. So, uh, you know, it's amazing what you can do. And it's it's sensory. You know, people, are, they're, they're using their senses. You can smell it. You can taste it. You can see it. You can hear it. You know, so, you know, if you can hit all of those, you know, that's where people are, like, most memorable. You know, they're like, oh, man, you remember that thing? Because it's not basic. Don't be basic. I'm always trying to take someone to the next level. Don't be basic. Take it to the next level. Always, 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 you know? I like it. Like, just shoot, sticking off the top of my head, you said, don't make it basic. Like, I'm thinking of tempura. You know, we always hear about coconut shrimp. Why can't I have coconut perch? Why can't I make that tempura, dip it, and then roll it around in some uh, some coconut flakes, you know, and then put that in the fryer? Like, that to me just sounds like the next step like you were talking about. Yeah, coconut everything. You can, you can do that cross with anything. Chicken and shrimp and, and fish and... You name it, you can do it. Chicken fried steak, you know, you could do it. Coconut, like Asian chicken fried steak. I mean, uh, I don't know if I ever did that or would do it, but I'm saying you could do whatever. You can do whatever you want, man. You know, and, uh, you know, it's definitely, uh, you know, breading things, you know, like fish. I like doing whole fish. Like black sea bass, I love it, man. And here's a little trick for you. Um, I'll take a black sea bass or a porgy. Out here, we got porgies. I love them. They throw, people throw them back. They don't like them. I love them, man. I scale them. I got, I take the guts out with like my knife on an angle. So it's like gutless and then skinless. Well, it has a skin on there, but I scraped it. And then I act like I'm going to fillet it. I just make maybe a half inch incision, like I'm going to fillet it all the way around. And then I make scores down the middle. And that's going to help cook it evenly. And then I bread and tempura the whole thing. When that thing's done, it's naturally going to, the meat's going to lift off the bone and you can take the whole filet off. Oh, man. So all you're doing is just, you're just starting that. You're not taking it off as the filet, but you're running your knife along the the spine of it, kind of along the belly. And then as it cooks, that's going to just start to lift, lift off. And nothing's going to be able to hold the fish fillet on there. So that's how you can gauge if it's just about done. You can kind of peel it back a little, and it just comes right off. And I'll tell you, you'll be a star, man. Yeah. You, know? you can serve it. You can, you can take the first fillet off for table side, put that on the plate, and then the bone's laying there with the other fillet underneath it. You pull the bone up, and then you put the bone on the side. It's so awesome, man. Oh. I do it all the time. Yeah, That's I do so it all cool. The time. I love presentation tricks like that. Um, I know I'm getting ready to do this Fourth of July. I'm getting ready to do a, a whole piglet. I went on a, a hog hunt and uh, we ended up smacking a couple piglets in the in amongst these other hogs that we were trying to shoot. And so I was thinking, like, shoot, I'm going to roast one of these whole piglets and do the shredded. But I totally want to do like. Yeah, apple in the mouth for the thing. And as I shred it, like, you know, take the head and kind of leave it alongside. And my wife was really, like, turned off by that. She was like, why do you want to put the head out on there? And I'm like, well, it. I mean, food has a face. Like, why are we hiding the fact that it doesn't? And just the same thing, like, you're sitting there, like, you're putting the whole, uh, you know, 
bone sections out there with the head as a presentation next to it. I think that's a thing of beauty as far as we're now looking at creation that we're now turning into food. I think I think that's a head nod and that's a tip of the cap to the animal itself. I don't think I mean it comes across as a little barbaric, but at the same time, I mean that's what we're eating, folks. Yeah. I, I think a little sidebar on that is knowing your crowd and knowing who you're cooking for and kind of you want it to be a pleasurable experience. You can have one rotten apple in there and they ruin it for everybody. And That's now, true. That's you know, true. And now you never invite them again and you shun <laughs> them from the family, you know, I, you know, but, yeah. So how big is the pig? The pig, it is, I want to say he's 15 to 20 pounds. Um, Easy to love to lift up with with one show or, or you know with one hand. Um, I, I ended up with three of them, so I got one to practice with, but I want to have two ready to go for uh, for Fourth of July. But uh, I ended up keeping skin on. Um, I did a torch method when we were down there in Oklahoma, so I took a propane torch and hit all the hair off of it, scraped it. That way, I could leave the skin on, and it acts. I mean, it it helped protect the meat on the drive back like i had them on ice but i didn't want to um freezer burn any of the meat by touching ice so that's why i kept the skin yeah. on there but then second as i you know as i'm going to be cooking this thing i i learned this from a barbecue guy uh cowboy kev over there in connecticut and when he does a whole hog he puts it upside down like you'll see like some of these guys will have the back up and you know as if the pig is sitting up in the the in the pit but he rolls his upside down, and now that skin acts as a boat. So all the fat that renders is just going to sit there and just incorporate itself into the meat. And whatever seasoning that you're putting onto it isn't going to run off into the charcoal at that point. It's going to just stay bottled up underneath that skin. Yeah, that's a move. Hey, you got me, you got me going. So <laughs> what, if you did, what if you did this? What if you marinated the whole entire thing like crazy garlic and herbs and seasoning and, and barbecue and whatever, and you cryovac that whole thing, maybe even in two bags, and you sous vide it for like two days. And then you take that whole thing and you fry it. Ooh. Just plunge it the whole sucker down in there. That's going to be one I think I'll have to sew him up, as in fill the cavity with something. Like we were saying, like the garlic, onions. I'm thinking, shoot, even a little bit of citrus with that pork. Sew all that up in him to try and just keep that all together. Because when then, yeah, and then I drop that into a deep fryer at that point. Or are you just thinking even uh, like a shallow fry at that point? Or is this deep going to be better? You know, if you're going to sous vide it, you can. Um, if you're going to sous vide it for a very long time, then you can sew it up because it's going to be fully cooked all the way through no matter what. Yeah. And then and then when you fry it, it might look sick. You know, that might be a move. You got me. I might just buy a, a suckling pig and do it. <laughs> just to do it. Give it a so. shot because then at that point, you know, you are going for like that crispy skin. And, man, I can't think of anything better than a little deep fry to crispen up all that skin on there. That would be, ooh, you we're, we're playing with fire here. I'm going to actually make some notes on this. You would fry it like uh, you fry a turkey. Yes. I'd have to truss yeah. him up. And I'd probably have to make him like he's sitting, 
just to make, you know get him the size of a turkey. He's a little bit longer than a turkey right now, but yeah, in a in a turkey fryer like that, that and would you, be that you, would be the yeah, point. Yeah, and I think that yeah, if you sewed him up before you sous vide him, that's what you're talking about, right? Yes. Yeah, so he's ready to go, and when you when you pressure when you uh, when you um, cryovac it. You want it to be in the position that you want to fry it in because it's going to shift. And, you know, if you put it in the sous vide, you want to kind of have control over that thing. You don't want the bag floating around because it might dislocate the joint and then it might all be all weird. But if you, like, maybe even put skewers in it before you sous vide it so it will keep it, it will keep the joints and the legs where you want it. Metal skewers right in there, but you hide it. You don't want it to right. touch the bag. And now you've got this skeletal system holding it where you want it. You know? Yeah. Oh, that <laughs> might be the play. That's a move. You better take pictures and send them to me. I yeah. need Yeah. Now, uh, I mean, my little – I guess it's going to depend on, too, the, the uh, unit that I'm going to use because well, I think it'll still do a good job, but I'm thinking – the, the wands now that they come with for sous vide, I mean, they, they're a dime a dozen now. They're getting cheaper and cheaper, and they do work really well. Um, but when you get, start getting into that amount of water, you're going to have to start preparing that that little machine is going to have to really work hard to get that water temp up to where you want it. Once it's there, it'll maintain it. But, yeah, I'm looking at a t- turkey fryer style. You're looking at 15, 20 gallons uh, yeah, stuff I, that or of water yeah. that's going to be one of those things like it might take a half a day to get that up to where you need to or put it on your turkey burner you know start the water up there then put your unit in you know shut the burner off at that point but then help it along because then, then at that point it's just going to maintain well you get the you get the water to the temperature you want to start with and then you boil it and you put it in and you say you're going to do it at, I don't know what number, um, like you say it's 160, you boil your water to 160, you put it in the, I usually use five-gallon buckets. I've used two, like, busted sous vides and put one on each side in a big uh, cooler. Yeah. You know, I use a Yeti. And sometimes you can close the Yeti, with, take the sous vides out, and that thing will stay at the same temperature for, like, eight hours, believe it or not. Nice. Not only on the cool yeah, end, but it'll work on the hot end, too. Yeah, cool, hot. Yeah, yeah, I usually get the water where I want it. I don't let the sous vide machine, uh, because I don't want to keep checking in and be like, where are we at? No, we're starting at this moment at the temp that I wanted at, you know? Um, just a thought. Yeah. Just making my notes here. Yeah, this is good. I'll do bra talk all day. Yeah. 24-hour hotline. 24 <laughs> me. When in the field, accuracy and precision count. That's why we switch our slug guns to rifle barrels, tune our arrows, and use a fish finder on the water. But why should our drive for control end there? The Tappacue line of meat probes gives an instantaneous look at the temperatures of our prized meals, both internal and the cooking chamber. Tappacue uses sturdy hardware made and assembled here in the U.S., along with their user-friendly, sophisticated software that connects to your smart device. Whether it's a traditional corded probe or the new cordless air probes that give you a wealth of freedom where wires would just get in the way. 
adding a tapecue meat probe can significantly help in getting to that medium rare on venison or waterfowl, ensuring your upland bird stays moist, or even charting your long cooks on a smoker. Visit tapecue.com or find the link in the show notes and use the code HUNT10, all uppercase, at checkout to save 10%. Adding a probe to your kit can make you one tap away from your kit. Dry-aged steaks used to be a steakhouse-only indulgence. An old-world charcuterie was pricey due to being imported or created at a small batch-specific scale. Thanks to Umai Dry, their synthetic dry-aging bags and casings allow you to create these meat-crafting treats in your own kitchen. Working in tandem with your fridge, the Umai Dry bag material allows moisture and air to pass through, making it possible to dry-age large cuts of steaks or roasts. Paired with their curing and seasoning kits, along with safe and easy-to-follow instructions, salamis and dry sausage are well within your grasp. Use the link in the show notes and sign up for the newsletter to receive 10% off your order. Umai Dry, helping us elevate our wild game from the home kitchen. But yeah, that's been... I know that, and I'm probably sure my listeners too. They're probably like, "Oh, here he is!" You know, he's all all obsessed with all obsessed with pork. But man, I tell you what, I I keep reliving that hunt and just the awesome pork that I'm getting off of it. I'm I I talked with uh, I would probably put him as one of the experts in the field, Jesse Griffith. He uh he talked about how even season to season, um, and even pigs of different litters when it comes to like a wild hog. It, it can vary one, you know, one piglet of a litter will just, you know, lay on the fat and just be healthy while another one just doesn't seem to get to eat first. You know, it's that pecking order and it's going to be leaner. It's going to have a little bit more of a gamey flavor to them. And that's even just in, in one litter, there's just this variability. And he said, when, it, when you're working with a protein that can totally change itself from season to season, you know, when they're, when they're in the wintertime down there in Texas, you know, they've got all this abundance of food. And then you get to summertime and it's just sun and humidity and the earth is scorched and they just, you know, everything revolves around water at that point. It's not even food and you'll see their flavor profile change. It's just amazing how, you know, that critter has been able to adapt and how even its flavor profile, its protein on the inside, its musculature will adapt season to season it was just really cool um and the fact that you know someone who enjoys cooking and someone who enjoys uh messing and playing with their food like now it's not just one of those things like when you get one in now it's a challenge you got to read what you got and then based upon that like i'm thinking those three piglets i'm already thinking of one right now he's a little bit smaller and i think he's a little bit leaner so if i were to put him on the pit he's going to finish a lot quicker than the other two but if i go with this sous vide method and then get him quick into the deep fryer and finish him off he's going to be able to pop and he's going to be the star of that dish and he's not just going to be the one off to the side like well yeah that one finished early so uh we're having to just set him out first like it it really it instead of being one in the same you just you play to what you have in front of you yeah yeah, you know, you want to find the one that built this house on uh, bricks, not the one that built it on sand, you know? <laughs> exactly. 
Exactly. <laughs> oh, I was wide open, bro. To tell you the truth, for like two minutes, I've been thinking, like, I'm trying to think of the, the nursery rhyme, and it finally came in, bro. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you want the one, yeah, that thinks ahead. He's got the bricks. You don't want, you don't want stick and straw boy out there. Yeah, you don't want them. <laughs> that's that's good, man. Um, hey, real, real, real quick. I didn't even tell you. My buddy shot a pig last year, and he asked me if I could butcher it. Big white pig, three hundred pounds. Oh, I was like, man. yeah, no problem. And I, and I butchered the whole thing. I made bacon. I made ham. I made you name it. I sous vide everything. I did pork belly. I did bacon's. I did. Bro, it was insane. So then he calls me this year. He's like, hey, man, um, can you do four of them? I was like, yeah. It was the most – it was right in between the move. It was right be in the middle of the move. And my wife's like, are you sure about this? I'm like, you know what? You know, we can use the money. I'll, you know, I'll put my head down. So a three-day nonstop excursion, bro, it was 1,000 pounds of meat, 1,000. Oh, I love it. Was, it. it was six giant coolers filled with everything. And it was, and they had four rams that they shot. You know, it wasn't hunting, bro. It was a million holes in, in the rams. And, <laughs> and I've found arrowheads in there. I've found blood spots everywhere. I'm like, how many times you got to shoot this little ram? It's like, you know, soaking wet. It's, you know, what, 70 pounds, 60 pounds? And it has, like, 10 holes in it. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, oh, man, it was nuts, bro. These critters but, are just built different. I, uh, as much as I want to say that I am somewhat of a specimen of the human race, uh, I, I definitely would not take a shot the way that these pigs or these rams are are taking these things. They're just tiny tanks they're just built for abuse and to work past it if i didn't have the mental capacity that i have like i would just be donezo <laughs> i could not compete <laughs> and it's like thank goodness that i have a brain that helps me uh with with archery with marksmanship because you put me side by side with one of these critters and it's like you know what i i may be the indian that's splitting wood instead of hunting at this point <laughs> <laughs> and then you know there's one ram that was shot perfectly had one little hole in it it came out the back and it was like perfectly done and i was able to get the best cuts out of it but some of them bro it was like poor little feeble creature i'm looking at this thing like i can't even get anything out of it yeah you know? right so, just a bunch of meat loss on it. oh that's that's rough but yeah a little side plug yeah, just to talk, just hear myself talk. It was a nightmare, bro. I'll never do it again, man. Four, one, I'll do, I'll do. Four, that's like never-ending meat. I had three freezers filled. I had one person cryovacking for three days, just pressure sealing it, just sealing. I was bagging them, he was sealing them, cutting asabucos and hams and, oh, brining everything. It was sick. It was nuts. I'll send you videos. You've probably seen it on Instagram. I did. I've seen that on there. So, yeah. Hey, what's your handle again? Um, Chef Bomb 2000? Uh, Chef Bomb 2020. Chef Bomb 2020. So, listeners, I know I've already uh, pushed out Rob's handle before. If you haven't uh, seen some of his stuff that he's doing, it's just – 
it's wild. This man taking apart a deer, this man taking apart, yeah, these these pigs and just having tables laid out with all the different cuts. It is I don't it's it's just something that, you know, you dream that you're going to be a part of. And every season that that I do, I get my deer and you know, we do a big cut night with my buds and they tell me like how they want their stuff cut. Most of it is they're like, "Hey, I want I want big steaks." I want my back straps and tenderloins, and then I want the rest to grind. So, I mean, you know, we've we've gotten quick at that process, and they help out, and they're they're learning their their role and stuff. I got one buddy who takes care of shoulders. He that's that's his role. He loves it, and being able to do that. But there's something that when I get my deer, and I just you know I just tell the misses and I still keep the boys. Well, I invite the boys down now, but I just tell them like, hey, Dad's going down to the shop. He's going to cut up the deer. And it's just me with that animal. And I just, you know, I take it apart and I assess it. And from that, my brain just starts working, like, which cuts do I want to save? Which ones am I going to put to grind? And, you know, am I going to do whole shanks or am I going to do asabuco? And you just kind of, like, lay out what this is. And you get you get psyched up and you try to label the, the dishes just to make sure that you're like, okay, this is why I cut this one. So when you do pull it out of the freezer, you're reminded of, like, oh, yeah, this is why I cut it this way. I just, I just love that so much. Yeah, absolutely. On this, on this kick, like real quick, let me give you some good ideas for, uh, you know, doing some sous vide for some uh, hors d'oeuvres and some, uh, some things you could do over the holidays. You know, over Fourth of July, and um, especially guys that love meat and game. Yeah. You know, if you want. Yeah. So, you know, when you butcher the deer, or even if you get a piece of meat at the at the butcher, if it's beef, if it's pork, if it's you know, we'll talk venison, but, you know, take one of the back straps and, you know, cold smoke it or even warm smoke it and then take it, put it in, season it up, put it in a sous vide bag, sous vide it to like one third, you know, 128, 130, depending on what you're going to do next. And then you cook it for two hours, take it out, put that whole thing right in the freezer. All the flavor, everything is just, when it freezes, it kind of, it kind of injects it in the meat. And when it defrosts, it's, it's just, it's, it, you'll see when you do this. And then you take it out of the bag, dry it off, maybe sear it, put a glaze on it real quick, flash it. And then you slice it paper thin. It's fully cooked, pink, perfect. And put it on the crostini, put it on, you know, make a canapé, put it on whatever you want, slice it paper thin, you know? Yeah. Uh, what am I thinking it, of uh, a caspaccio almost, except this is the cooked version. Carpaccio. Carpaccio, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, same thing, man. And and you could even you could even take it out of the freezer, don't sear it, leave it as is, and leave it a little frozen, and then you could slice it like paper thin and do that and put them on a plate and make an appetizer with it. Like slice them paper thin and fan them like really like paper thin on the plate yeah. and put your vinaigrette and your little sauce and some greens or whatever, whatever you want to do. And that's a good salad. Put a salad on top and you got the, the, the oh man, that's the move, bro. It's the move. All right. Um, smoke it. You know, and you could smoke yeah, it till you said one, one twenty eight ish, one twenty five ish. Yeah, I think if you're going to sear it again, maybe like 126, 128, whatever. Okay. But if you're going to do as is and you want to pink all the way through, like 130 and, and play around with it, you know. Um, and you could do it with the offcuts too. You know, it doesn't have to be backstrap because yeah. you're slicing a paper thin and it's it's 
tender meat, you know. Yeah, I just wanted to um, review that process. So we, we smoke it, 128, pull it, and then it goes to the freezer because I want to now – I want to give some stiffness to that thing. And you also said that as that now sits – that the smoke is going to just work its way. This is that chance where like flavors are melding inside of of that cut. So now I got it stiff. That's where my yeah. knife now can come in, slice it super thin, and then I'm just laying that on shoot arugula with a vinaigrette, and I'm just laying these oh. things on top. A few little capers on there. You know, we're I mean it's summertime, so we're going to want to get either some blueberries or we're going to get some strawberries on there and just drop that in and boom, that is a yeah. mini salad right there. And Or you can slice it the long way and roll the salad inside it and then slice it. It'll look like a spring roll. Oh, you know? my. You know, and then, uh, you know, you could sous vide it for that or you could smoke it to the temp. However you want to get it to that temp, leave it at that temp and then put it in the vacuum sealer and then freeze it. You know, the sous vide, that's one way. Smoking it to that, you know, sous vide is very safe, you know. Yeah. You don't have to worry about it, you know. Um, especially venison, especially backstraps, they're real fragile, man. You can miss the mark on it pretty easy in the smoker. The, yeah, you know, okay. you miss it. One minute, you're off. But if you smoke it, get the smokiness in there. You can even put smoked paprika on there in a marinade and then sous vide it for two hours. And it's never going to overcook in the sous vide. It's going to stop where you want it to stop, you know. Um, so just a little trick. And take that with, do that with pork belly. Do it like a 24-hour a, a pork belly. Then you take the pork belly. It's fully cooked. And you slice pieces of it after you freeze it. Take it, slice it, and now crisp it like bacon. And use that as a chip. Ooh. And now put whatever on there, you know. I love it. Don't I get love me it. Going. Don't get me going, bro. <laughs> and I feel like at one point, you know, before I was wanting to even buy the sous vide wand, I I was hesitant because I thought it was a one trick pony. I thought like, and, and that's because because you always heard people just, hey, this is how I'm doing my steak on it. But just as we've been talking, like we've laid out. I mean, yeah, you are just doing a protein in the sous vide, but we've talked about a whole piglet. We've talked about a backstrap that we're going to end up then getting into the freezer, stiffening it up, and then we're going to serve it on a salad. Like, we're just finding different ways to use this same tool, making it versatile. It's going from, yeah, the one-trick pony to now being a little bit of a Swiss Army on this point where we've got different moves, we've got different treatments we're using the fact that it can cook something uh, in a very controlled environment, and now we can apply that to different things. So I love how you've been able to liberate it out of just, hey, I can cook a steak to medium, or hey, I can always cook a steak to uh, rare. Now it's we're going beyond that. We're going to now we're going to just use this control element and make elevated dishes. Yeah, and let's do let's do a shameless uh, one minute plug for sous vide more. You could do potatoes in there. You can do vegetables in there. You can you know you just got to figure out the temps and all that. But one of the greatest parts of it is it, it, there's no mess. You take it out of the bag and you throw the bag out and you put the stuff on the plate ready to go. 
everything in a bag. I've done parties, sous vide, I sous vide everything. Everything was in a bag with a Sharpie label on it, veg, potatoes, meat, this. I'll never do fish in it. People do, and they swear by it. It's just I have this relationship with fish. It's a disrespect to the fish. Sorry, I won't do it. You're, you're keeping it from its water. It should be in the water, not in the bag, no. in the water. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah, but you should be everything, man. Should be everything. Everything. Oh, man. Hey, we were talking earlier, too, and I'm sure it'll have something to do with the sous vide. We were talking shish kebabs. Uh, oh, yeah, let's do it. Nice. Yeah, shish kebabs. Am I, am I still using the sous vide aspect for this? I, I like to use them um, um, when we're camping. Um, and, in fact, now I've got uh, – actually, it's at home, but I've got one of these uh, smokeless fire pits. And the only way that I could get the one that I wanted is I had to then get the upcharge for the sear plate that goes on on the top of it. I'm I'm not they're not they don't sponsor the show or anything. It's those Brio yeah. uh, pits, but that ring on the outside, that sear plate, man, does that get wicked hot? And yeah. I've been wanting to make little skewers of either you know either venison or even beef or, or whatever it is with some veggies on there and have everybody like pull up you know give everybody three or four or whatever and they control how much sear that they get on their piece of meat right there in front of them they get to roll them around it's like a little group activity it's like a a circular hibachi where everybody gets to be the cook and then when they're done they pull them off and then we all enjoy you know shish kebabs around the fire um that was kind of like that that's a thing i want to kind of put together at least in, in my own neck of the woods but I know you're going to have an approach that I'm going to definitely want to add in when it comes to shish kebab. So hit me with what you had. You know, let's stay on the sous vide tip. You make the shish kebab, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you make it so it's halfway cooked already, if you're going to do that on the plate there. So they don't got to sit there and cook it. And by the time it's cooked on the inside, depending how uh, thick you cut it, it's, it's, it's charred and it's cooked fully. But if you go from a raw state, to the you know to, to doing it on the griddle it's going to take them forever yeah and some people are going to they're going to be dry and they're going to be so seared that you know to get it cooked now it's like eating shoe leather so one thing you could do with the sous vide especially camping sous vide like pearl onions and sous vide little uh, potatoes like right yeah. and whatever else you want to put on the shish kebab how about tomatoes can i do like cherry tomatoes in the sous vide as well are those going to get to where where I want them to be done. Uh, that's the only thing you don't need to put in the sous vide. Gotcha. You know, you just you just put them. So now you got all your assembled ingredients. You have your meat that's pretty much uh, like halfway or whatever it is in cubes. Now you assemble them, but they're half. They're half cooked. And now you marinate them, brush them with garlic oil and rosemary and seasonings. And now you put them on a platter. They're still half cooked. And... Now you now you grill, and, and it'll take half the time, and it will be so much tender, so perfect, you know. Um, so, yeah, man, the sous, everything's coming back to the sous vide on this uh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I love yeah. it. I love it. Because, yeah, yeah. you know, that's what I was thinking is just like summertime, there's a lot of times where you know, people stop by and or, you're, you know, you're having dinner with folks, and it's, it's really low-key. And you don't want to have to. You don't want to have set everybody at a table, 
Um, kids are running around playing, like, shoot, you know, make them a couple hot dogs or at least, you know, cut up a couple of venison steaks. I know my boys, shoot, you throw Venny in front of them. They're happy as cucumbers, man. They won't even balk at the idea. You know, they're just going to be back for s'mores later. But, you know, you get the adults around and we all each have a little shish kebab. Like, it just becomes like a party element going on there. So that's, that's cool. Yeah, and you could do that. You could do the same thing. Um, like with shrimp, but the shrimp you don't have to pre-cook. The shrimp you could do that because shrimp are going to take a couple of minutes. I mean, if you grill them, you know, you put all your half-cooked vegetables on there, or fully fully cooked potatoes, you know, pearl onions, those little tiny peppers, put them on there, and then you shrimp at raw. And now you grill them, and by the time those shrimp are cooked, all that other stuff would be right on target, you know? Oh, yeah. I love it. You don't want raw onion. You don't want raw onion. You know? No, not at that point. I love how you did. You took the pearl onions, threw them in, uh, threw them in the sous vide in the bag. Then you just like, yeah, oh, they'll slide right on that skewer, just like butter. Just yeah, you have it, right and you on. can have a fun, you can have a fun uh, assembly party too. You know, you got everybody's got the bag, you got all the stuff. Hey, let's make shish kebab. Everybody makes them. Everybody cooks them. It's a fun thing. You know. Oh man. So when you head to Michigan, yeah. that's uh, I guess I'll I'll have stuff ready then. <laughs> yeah, listen, I think we need to strategically put a trip together where the hunting is there, the fishing is there, and you know we can do you know we can with the kids we could do butchery, we could do fishing like a power pack three day, and we get footage and maybe we will put a little video. I'll bring one of my guys. We'll put a whole video together of the trip and we could. You know, just share it with everyone. It could be, you know, some good times around the fire where we have great messages and the guy edits the whole thing. And, you know, maybe people will be inspired to do that kind of stuff with their kids, you know? I love it. I love it. Rob, this has just been an awesome. I mean, shoot, time has just flown. We're already sitting here in an hour. Rob, I know my listeners have heard you before, but again, where where can we find you? Where can my listeners engage more with you? You know, I've been using Instagram as like a visual resume where people get to see the adventures. And eventually I'll have a YouTube channel set up. But right now, Instagram, uh, Chef Bomb 2020. And, you know, it's uh, it's got a little bit of everything. It's got hunting, fishing, butchery, cooking, kids programs and fun stuff. And, yeah, man, get in there, you know. And if you, you ever have a question, shoot me a message. I get back to everybody, you know, because I love it. I want to help you. Awesome, awesome. Well, hey, Rob, hold on for just a second. I'm going to let uh, let folks on out here. Folks, man, I feel like we have just gotten, we've just given you so much inspiration here for the next couple summer uh, months as they're coming through. As you are getting a bounty out of those lakes, out of those streams, out of, out of the ocean, wherever you're at, getting with a fish fry and then just trying to you know if you've got your set method that's great but let's let's veer off let's get exciting let's use pickle brine on some of our smaller plates let's add the coconut onto our perch and see what happens there get outside that box play a little bit little bit with it use some of the moves that we've given you in order to really spice that up and then even being able to take that sous vide, something that, you know, appears to be a one-trick pony, but use it to your advantage. It's just a machine that 
cooks things evenly and cooks things precisely. Let's bring it to the shish kebabs. Let's use it on whole bagels. Let's use it in other elements to really diversify our presentation and the way that we can elevate dishes. So folks, as you continue to get creative and you're looking to do some of these promotions, make sure that the knife that you are using is very, 